Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy was created to help companies from startup to 40 million envision a new future where they're capable of hitting, but more importantly, helping them get it done. So go to 40strategy.com to learn more. We also just recently announced a partnership with Profit First Community to help entrepreneurs manage their financials that will help them reach their cash flows faster. So to learn more about that, go to ProfitFirstProfessionals.com. And we have our guest here today, we're really excited with Dave Selinger. He is, after working directly with Jeff Bezos in launching a multi-billion dollar real estate brokerage, Redfin, he's now revolutionizing the home security industry with his latest venture, Deep Sentinel. Dave, welcome to the Measure Size Podcast. Well, super stoked to be here and super excited to be kind of part of the, the way that you view business and the, the blending between business objectives, profit, personal. It's, it's a neat angle on, on what it is that we do every day. I appreciate you saying that, Dave, because one of the things I've, we had of, all, of all my pre-interviews and for good other guests of that, you probably, we had one of probably one of the better pre-interview discussions when we were talking. And because it really does matter to you both sides of the equation, your, your business and personal life and what you're doing today and how we had balance. And so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to reaching more into that. But prior to going to that, of course, we will stick with the business first. Sure. I love your, your business. You're, you're currently involved with being CEO and founder at Deep Sentinel. Tell the audience a little bit more about what that is. Deep Sentinel solves one problem and one problem only, which I love, by the way, because I'm, I'm a focused dude. I, the problem we solve is preventing crimes. The, the observation, and, and, and you know, are just chatting about it, is that the difference between identifying and intervening in a crime after it happens versus before it happens is black and white. It, it, it just 180 degrees different. So the, the difference between somebody being inside of your home while you're asleep with your spouse and now you're scared for your life versus somebody intervening while they're outside and then shooing them off the property. And that's what we do. We use a combination of cameras, artificial intelligence, and live monitored 24-7 guards who will trigger sirens, alarms, call the police, speak over two-way audio, and shoot people off of your property. We do that for homeowners, and we do that for business owners. And what I found as I started this business, obviously, it kind of started with my own story, which we can go into if you'd like. But what I realized is that this is a massive gap in the market. There's really only after the fact things like you put cameras up and you can call the police and say, I've got this great video of a guy in a mask breaking into my house. Congratulations. We'll add that to our list of 3 million of those this year. Or they are alarms, burglar alarms, which, you know, I as a homeowner and business owner and dad and husband thought was awesome. And I was blown away when my neighbor had a home invasion and I realized Burglar alarms, not only do they not work, they may actually make people less safe because they kind of lull you into believing they do something that they just, they don't do. So what Deep Sentinel does, you come in my house from the second you enter at the property line, the cameras are tracking you. They trigger an artificial intelligence that actually runs on a device on your home or in your business that identifies if the person's being suspicious. And within three seconds, if that person is being suspicious, there is a live, highly trained guard viewing your cameras remotely. 
ready to intervene and tell them, hey, this is deep sentinel security. You need to leave this property immediately. And that prevents about 95% of all the crimes out there and does it quickly and without infringing on your sense of safety. There, I, I encourage audience members to go to deepsentinel.com, take a look at some of the videos. I, I loved it. There, there's a two minute one they have on, basically on the front page, you just scroll down a little bit and they go into multiple different areas of where there's a burglar getting ready to do something. And one of your security guards remote, first of all, these little alarms or little comments and they're like, hey, are you supposed to be here? Nope, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's exactly what you think kind of like a neighbor, like a good neighbor would do if they happen to see someone like, hey, that's a little bit suspicious. And if obviously if they're committing a more serious crime and they're already engaged in the crime, we get more aggressive. But what we found is that if we can get earlier and earlier and earlier, if you can just intervene with like, hey, are you supposed to be here? Most criminals are of the mindset, hey, I might get caught. And just that question changes them from I might get caught to I just got caught, time to bail. Yeah. And it's you know, no, not, not quite no harm, no foul, still not good intent, but nobody's been hurt. No property has been damaged. And, and again, we're the only company in the world that does this at the type of scale that we do. And so it's been a, it's been an amazing ride. You mentioned the videos. We stop crimes all day long, every single day. It's an amazing thing. I wake up every morning to a chunk of emails of like, here are all the things we stopped last night. Yeah. No, that must be so rewarding. And, and I just, once again, I love the concept of it not happening at all. Right. You know, it just like, or, or at least once again, significantly reducing the likelihood, you know, if something takes place and, but I mean, that is a real thing. It's, it's really key prevention. So uh, just a more question, the technology a little bit. So if, if I'm quote unquote walking in, is it recognizing me because the AI technology type stuff is, so is that how that's working is a recognized people, so to speak? So it's, it's a combination of different types of, of deep, what's called deep learning, artificial intelligence technology. Some of that is recognizing people. Some of that is recognizing behavior. Some of that is just tracking the people as they're moving. It's filtering out things that, again, if you own a ring or you know a nest cam, you see lots and lots of like we trees and leaves waving in the breeze. We filter out a lot of those things. The, the actual magic to this is not just recognizing people and saying, okay, this is Carl. We don't need to watch him. Because in fact, actually, if Carl's walking, you're walking to your car or your wife's walking to her car, or your kids are walking to the car. That's actually one of the most important moments for us to have guards watching. Because what happens if somebody jumps out of the bushes like that? Well, we initially thought that would be enough. And then if we recognize the people, then we just filter it out. But that's actually the opposite of what a lot of our customers want. A lot of our customers want to say, look, my kids are leaving for school. Make sure they're, they're escorted off the property or escorted onto the property. A lot of home invasions result in people tailgating and following people in. And so what we do instead with our machine learning, instead of filtering out like known people, is we provide that information to our guards. So our guards have a custom console that we built from scratch that provides them with all this information so they can do their job quickly, cost-effectively, and very, very consistently. So how in the heck did you get into this? What, what formed the ideas and, and, and where, <clears throat> where was the innovation behind it? So for, for the people that are watching the, the video, you'll see part of my answer, which is that I'm a, I'm a geek. Like I'm a, I'm a tech guy at my core. I'm, I've got on, on one side of me in, in my office, I've got Star Wars stuff. In fact, if I, if I tilt the camera up for the other viewers, I have like one of a kind steampunk Star Wars pictures. Wow. I have a, a custom BB-8 droid that I built myself and that's fully functional. 
you know, that's what I've done my whole life. I, I love technology in my hands, doing something amazing. And that, I've been that way since I was six. And I just, I embrace that about myself. I don't have anything else <laughs> that's like that in my life. And, and my parents, thank, thank God for this. I had a great set of blessings. They recognized that I loved that stuff more than I loved them even. And they just fed it. And then they allowed me to play and grow and, and explore. And, and so when I went to college, I studied machine learning and artificial intelligence and robotics. And that became the, the passion of my career. And that's been what I've been doing for the last 25 years. And so that's on one side is that this machine learning thing. Uh, and in 2014, there was a massive revolution of machine learning. And this was kind of the confluence of what we see on the consumer side of Alexa and Siri and facial recognition on Google Photos and Facebook and Instagram. All those things are actually a single technology at the bottom called deep learning. And it was, like I said, invented around 2014. And I didn't quite know if it was 100% real, if it was a bunch of fluff and, and marketing promise. But as I dug in, I fell in love and I, and I committed myself to finding a business using that, that would, you know, in my, in my view, change the world. And in my career, I've always had between two and five nonprofits I've been on the board of and, or an advisor of. And I want for just a bunch of reasons, you know, whether that's like, you know, my family guilt and morals and whatever, I want to make the world a better place. And I wanted to find with my next business a way to make the world a fundamentally better place in a for-profit business, meaning leave all of my nonprofits. And I've, and I've resigned from all of my nonprofits. I'm not on the board of advisors or board of directors of any nonprofits anywhere anymore, which is the first time in like 20 years that I've been in this state and run a business that could, that could at, a, at the core of its emotional delivery make a difference in the world, you know, Steve Jobs' words, to make a dent in the universe. And in Deep Sentinel, I found that really neat niche of a, a huge opportunity that no one was tackling. It uses the technology that I'm super passionate about. Without this technology, you couldn't do it effectively, and you certainly couldn't do it in a way that was cost-effective for your customers. And then third, it, I mean, safety, really, safety. We are a mission-driven organization in everything that we do and the fact that we make people feel safer is one of the most rewarding things in the world you mentioned our videos and, and i'll go into this and, and i'll pause for your next question here in just a second but my favorite video yeah i love the crime stops yeah i love it when you know there's a there's a a, a burglar kind of sneaking around in a parking garage and we catch them before they even do anything and they just bail and they're like what the heck's going on and they, they run out i love that but what I love way more than that is about once a week and definitely on the holidays, our customers will come outside and they will make a deep sentinel card and they will wave to our cameras and say, Hey, this is Betty. And our guards will say, Hey Betty, how are you doing today? Can I help you with something? And she'll say, you know, I, I just wanted to say, thank you. Merry Christmas to you guys. Thank you for working on Christmas for me to protect my family and my house. And I made you this card and they'll hold up like a, you know, a four foot wide card that they and their kids had made. We have these drawings from kids saying, thank you for making us feel safe after our house got burglarized. We couldn't sleep for a month until we got deep set. Like, dude, that matters. Mm. That, I love yeah. it. Yeah. That's why I do what I do. 
That's awesome. And I can tell you're emotional about this. I mean, this is, this is like a, I mean, it's a big deal. We, we, there's one of these, these real costs of, you know, the, the value of the prevention rather than the after the fact and all the mess you have to clean up, never mind your time. But then there's the mental part of the PTSD of that somebody's broken into your stuff, you know, whatever it might be. And, and being able to avoid that is huge you know, being, getting, getting through and, and, and removing that, I think it's amazing. So you, you have real competition though out there. So it's interesting. There has been big players with big pockets that have been the space for years, right? Decades. Yep. I mean, you just say it, ADT, right? Like- <laughs> yeah. ADT, you mentioned Nest, right? You know, it's on yep. the website, you have other big players. How are they dealing? Are, are they dealing with this? You know, how and how are you staying ahead of them right now? It's easy to stay ahead of them. And let me tell you why. ADT's business is a 99% gross margin business that people pay for and they shouldn't. But there's nothing better. Most people just don't know that something like Deep Sentinel exists. Let's think about that. Like, that's a big claim, David. This is, it's, it's a 99% gross margin. How's that, how's that possible? Well, let's think about what they do. You go home, you type into a keypad your code, cost them nothing. So we're at zero so far. You do that 30 days in a row, you pay them 50 bucks. That's 100% gross margin so far. Wow, that can't be 100%. Like, let's, let's walk through this. Okay, so three months later, your alarm goes off. You're in bed and it was, you know, your dog jumping off the, the couch and bumps the window sensor. So they call you and you say, oh, let me go check. It's the window sensor done. Bam. That costs them $2. So every four months it costs them $2. So you're looking at 50 cents a month average cost. Let's look at a big situation. A burglar comes. That's got to cost them more. So what happens? A burglar comes. They broke, break in your house. They open the window. It sets off the alarm. They call you. Say, I'm not home. They call the police. They hang up and they're done. End of story. Still cost them $2 once every four months. Still cost them 50 cents. Yet you're paying a bunch. Here's the bad news. Two pieces of bad news. 99% of the time when, when ADT calls the police department, it's a false alarm. Mm. Those police departments don't actually even respond. In fact, over 60% of Americans live in a city where the police department has approached the city council and said, I can't deal with this anymore. Los Angeles chief of police direct quote to the city council. I am spending 15% of my multi hundred million dollar budget every year, just responding to false alarm calls from ADT and their, and their competitors. 15% of my budget as an entire police department in LA County, where there are real issues, going to false alarms because of, because of burglar companies. City council in LA, you can ask anyone who lives in LA, what happened? They don't come anymore. And so to, to me, that, that difference between before and after, it's so astronomical and as a customer, but from a business, if I'm selling a product and, and people are still buying ADT every single day, thousands of people buy ADT every day, they're giving a 99% margin for something that does nothing for them. In fact, if it's okay, I'm going to share an image that I'll describe yeah. to the listeners. That let, can't yeah, see. let me give you a chance to do it. So let, let me make this a little bit personal. So, so yeah, two weeks ago at 11 o'clock at night, my deep sentinel went off on my driveway and I was like, well, whatever. The guards you know, triggered it and, and I went outside and I looked and they, you know, there was nobody there anymore. I went back in, I'm, whatever, I'm done. The next morning I get a message on Nextdoor that my neighbor, four doors down, got broken into at 11.05. So they had come to my driveway 
in an attempt to break in, Deep Sentinel had kind of shuffled them away. They went to my neighbor's house, broke into their house, and they have an alarm. In fact, this is, so then, and you said clean up a mess. Like this is actually the legit 100% true two weeks ago photo from four doors down from my house. They broke through the window because they didn't slide the door. They didn't trigger the door sensor. They then went inside, triggered the motion sensor, at which point I'll show you another image, which is the most disappointing. Their alarm company, which is owned by ADT, called them and said, oh, your motion sensor went off again because it had gone off numerous times in the last month. So it's probably a false alarm. We're not calling the police. End of phone call. The family is in their bedroom for an hour while these people are in their house. The husband and the wife, they're an elderly couple. They're holding each other, just trying not to make a noise. Thank goodness the people left. But that's, that's the difference between working and not working. And so, yeah, you know what? My business isn't 99% gross margin. I'll tell you that right now. But I solved that problem. We don't have customers that call us with that story. Wow. And yeah. And what people can see, those who are just listening on, on, on the podcast, there was basically a screen door, glass broken everywhere. They had just gone right into it. And I love That was really interesting. I appreciate you saying that the sensor didn't, didn't trigger it, right? The normal sliding glass door. So that's... If, if for those people that own an alarm, you know, like your motion sensors go off all the time. A tree waves in the wind, your motion sensor goes off. Your dog jumps on the couch, your cat jumps on the couch, motion sensor goes off. Like it, it's so wrought with false alarms that it doesn't solve the problem. But, but again, why, why is it easy for me to continue competing with them? It's because they have no interest in my sector. They don't even want to go into this because it's a harder business to do. It's lower gross margin. And as long as people keep buying ADT and giving them a 99% gross margin for the, for the stuff that they're schlucking, you know, there's no reason to change. And that's, you know, that, that's been kind of theorized and, and, and turned into intellectualized as the innovators still have yeah. is that these large companies that have huge profits, which, yeah, maybe it's right behind you there. Yeah, it is. It is. Here it is. Yep. Oh. Yep, Clayton Christensen, the, the late. Yep. Great book. The Innovator's Dilemma. The Dilemma. The, yep. the ADT makes billions of dollars a year on a product that sucks. Why would they move to a harder, more expensive product to run? They have no interest in doing that. And so, you know, my goal is to slowly, slowly eke away at that so that by the time they realize that they should have switched their model to, to deep sentinels type model, it's too late for them. This is, I, I love this. I love, I love the product. I love what you have. I hope once again, our listeners have an opportunity to take a listen to this. Once again, not only just for your personal side, but also for the business side as well. So you, you cover both sides behind that. So I'm curious about your strategic, do you have a strategic plan? What, what's your next five, five-year goal, so to speak? If you want to kind of, you don't have to give details of revenue, so to speak, but, but just kind of growth. What, what are you looking to do or trying to capture or help or make a difference? Yeah, so, so strategic plans are always tough. My, my last company, my co-founders and I, we had like five or six co-founders and we would always, whenever somebody would ask us that question, we'd put up the South Park slide. Do you know the South Park slide? I, not this particular one. I actually, you need to send it to me. As soon as I say South Park, though, you know it's horrible, right? So, yeah, yes, so of there's, course. A, there's an episode on South Park <laughs> called The Underpants Gnomes. And the Underpants Gnomes have a three step business plan. Step one, collect underpants. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. And, uh, <laughs> and they're always just saying, we just, we're just going to focus on step one because we know step three is out there. And then at some point, we're going to have to figure out step two. And it's like, 
Okay, that's it. That's a great strategic plan. So anyway, that's that, whenever anyone asks, what's your strategic plan? I always collect underpants. Uh, but, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, our, our strategic plan is somewhat like a collect customers, protect customers, and then profit. You know, we were, were really focused on expanding within our existing seg- sectors. We have two really key kind of go-to-market motions that we have that, that are, are very effective. And then in parallel to continue to expand our product, we still put about 30% of our operating budget into pure R&D and about another 10 or 15% into customer support kind of related R&D. So, you know, almost about 50% of our total budget is going into R&D every single year. And so that's, that's a big part of this as well. In terms of the customer expansion, where where we're really just absolutely crushing it is, you know, we already talked about residential a little bit. I mean, my gosh, we, we do cost more than an alarm company. Our, our starting price points around 200 bucks a month, which people are like, wow, that's a lot more than an alarm. Well, think about this. Your alarm only, you know, costs them 50 cents. You're paying 50 bucks for something that costs 50 cents. When you buy Deep Sentinel, yeah, you're paying 200 bucks, but you're paying 200 bucks for something that's worth 200 bucks. So let's let's just pause there but residential is doing very well the the second thing that we're doing is there are a lot of businesses that are just getting hammered by problems like like homelessness that are created by homelessness and, and methamphetamines throughout the United States and these are a type of crimes that the current solutions don't even tackle you've got catalytic converter theft we have a, a customer who had a hundred thousand dollars of copper cable in his vans which if, if there are any electricians listening they're like oh that's a medium-sized van which is about right. I mean, copper cable so expensive. He had a hundred thousand dollars that in thirty seconds, you know, we stopped somebody from stealing that. But you can't use a camera system or a, or a, an alarm system to protect your van. It just it just doesn't work. And so those types of businesses where they've got fleets of vehicles, big parking lots, we do very well. And then the other category that we do really well in is warehouses and construction sites. Those are probably three categories where we're, where we're going very, very rapidly. Lots of assets, they're exposed to the outdoors and there's really no other way to stop people from stealing from them. Yeah. So th- those are sectors that we're, that we're very focused on. We have distributors in all 50 of the states and those people do our installation, they do sales for us and we're just continuing to grow. We, we spent a lot of time during the pandemic figuring out how to perfect our service. As you might imagine, it, given my background in machine learning and data, we took all of our operations and we turned it into data. So we measure every single one of our guards, what's their behavior look like? Do they, does their behavior when we model it look like the best guards or does it look like the worst guards? We can tell pretty quickly if they're doing well or doing poorly. And then we also built out a, a huge go-to-market and, and selling mechanism. And so really this next five years, our goal is to get to a couple hundred million dollars in revenue. And like I said, make a dent in the universe, be the security provider that people equate with safety. Yeah. And, you know, along those lines, like if you, if you look on my desk right now, I just, I happen to have the Uvalde analysis sitting here. And that's another thing that I think about a lot. How do I, how do I use this to solve those big problems that, that that make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Give us more meat around around the strategic plan. What to you is the number one obstacle that you're running into? It's awareness. I mean, again, if you look at any any human being that's like about, again about to spend 50 to 60, 80 bucks a month on ADT, 
the ability to reach out through the world, gently grab them by the shoulders and then shake the living heck out of them and say, stop, get something that works instead. And so we're working on a VR, AR solution so that anyone who puts on goggles, we can actually reach through the internet and grab them and shake them physically. But yeah, I mean, that's it. It's just awareness. I mean, anyone who's thinking about doing that for their business, there's no reason to proceed. Just stop, change direction, buy Deep Sentinel and, and, and do that, solve the problem, right? And, uh, and so we're really you know, focused on how do we get that awareness out there and, and, and really tell our story. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, now I, I know we'll throw it out because I know you, you've said in your past things, I think your story as is, 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 is good enough. You, you have two really interesting big co's that you worked with in your earlier part of your career, one with Amazon and one with Redfin. I'm, let's just hit on the Amazon. The, what, what is the one thing, if you may, you learned there that you've been able to take to nearly every other business you've been with since? That, that's pretty easy. Data is greater than ego. Just, just that very simple equation. And you know, in order to run a business, you have to have a little bit of ego. And I may have too much of that. And I've definitely had too much of that at times in my career, but there were a number of experiences I had, whether that was directly with Jeff Bezos or with other people on his organization, he was able to create a culture that valued data over ego. Meaning that if I say, I believe X, and then you show me data that, that it's X is hundred percent false and it's Y that I feel not only capable of switching my belief to support the data, but motivated and supported that it, that it's actually a positive thing that I did a great thing by making an assertion and I did an even better thing by accepting the facts and modifying my assertions and my beliefs to reflect my observation of the world. And that's, it's a really hard thing, right? I mean, we see that in politics and our, in our leaders that they just have to keep, I mean, really the last two years, we saw a lot of this, right? People just like sticking with their talking points, regardless of what was going on on the ground. And that happened on, on, on all sides of the political spectrum. Let me just be really clear. I'm not criticizing one side or the other, but you see that and you feel it and it makes you lose faith in the institution that's creating the culture that says that's okay to do. Again, whether you're far right, far left centrist, nobody likes that. Nobody believes in an institution that, that does that. And almost all of us work at institutions where you're better off sticking to your guns than adjusting. And Jeff Bezos just rejected that outright. And he did that personally and he did that in his culture. And I love that. I want to bring that with me everywhere I go with vigor, with passion, and, and, and in an uncompromising way. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Great insight. Okay, Redfin, you help. You're one of the founders for that. Yep. What did you learn about that? What's the one thing, if you may, from that experience that you just like, you, once again, you've taken away and go, this is, this is one of these lifelong lessons. This is going to go a little bit counter to my last one. <laughs> <laughs> Ego is everything. They forget Ego is everything. Listen to no, it, it, it's that, and, it, and it's not 180 degrees counter, but it, it it's it, it's kind of askew. So I'm going to tell this as a story. At Redfin, we the founders found almost no one who believed that there was a business doing what we did, and we had built up enough enough data and observations to have an intuition that nobody else was able to see. 
And that intuition was that the user experience, the way people interact with a system fundamentally matters. In fact, that a business, an entire set of categories of businesses can be created simply by making a process easier, more enjoyable, having less friction, having accessibility into more things and having higher trust. And this was in, in 2002, 2003. And, and since then, it's become an entire practice called user experience design, right? Like that's, that's what Instagram is. Instagram shows you videos. There are millions of places that do that. What Instagram does amazing is they do that in an experience and they make it fun and they make it engaging. And when we pitched that as founders, I cannot count how many doors got closed in our face. That's a dumb idea. Bam, door closed. And now when you look at every single real estate business in the world is modeled after Redfin. Every single mapping application in the world, Google Maps, Apple Maps, Microsoft Bing Maps, they are all modeled after Redfin. And, and that was that, that if you have enough data to support an intuition that there's a hole in the world and you're the only person that sees that data, no one else believes it, to stick with it. And the, it's, it's, it's again, it, it's still kind of data oriented, but it is a little bit different. Like that if nobody else agrees with you, it's okay. It's okay to stick with your guns. If you, if you believe that strongly enough, that may actually be the most amazing insight ever because you're the only person that sees it. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Okay, now we're going to switch over to the personal side. And, sure. and, and you have family, you have, you have these businesses going on, you have other advisory boards that you, I know you said you got rid of all your not-for-profits or at least according to LinkedIn, you still have other stuff that you're definitely involved with. Yep. How, what type of habits have you been able to do on a, on a consistent basis that helps keep you on top of your game so you can do a great job what you know, you do on a regular basis at home and, and in work and everywhere else? So I, I, you know, you, you gave me a little bit of a prompt to let me know that you're going to ask this question. So I appreciate it. I thought about it a little bit and I wanted to boil it down to two specific habits if I can. The first one's going to be kind of more of a strategic one. And the second one's going to be very, very hyper tactical. So the first one, the strategic one is time management. And that I believe that how you spend your time is the most direct and irrefutable reflection of what your priorities actually are. Meaning if you have somebody who says, no, 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 you're important. You're my family. And, you know, the silver spoon story, right? Like, and you never spend time to play catch with your kids or go to their events. Like they're actually not your priority as much as you may say that they are, they're not. And so how you spend your time reflects your priorities. The second one, the tactical one is going to be something a little bit out of left field, which is speed reading. So when I went to Stanford, I grew up in a really small town. I grew up in a, in a town of like 350 people. And as you might imagine, going to a university like Stanford was a huge opportunity for me, like eye-opening, like massive. Oh my God, I'm going to school with all these kids like Chelsea Clinton and Kenneth Starr's daughter and a prince from, from Abu Dhabi and like, holy living God, all these people from Beverly Hills that are like on TV and stuff. Fred Savage was one of my classmates. Like, you know, whoa, where are you from? Well, I live, I live in a podunk town in Oregon, you know. That. <laughs> so I was not set up to like crush, you know. These other people had been presented lots of things that I had not been presented. So I looked for all the ways I could get ahead. 
And the two things I chose my freshman year of college were to not watch TV anymore. So I stopped watching TV. And the second thing was to learn how to speed read. And my parents were actually kind of livid about the second one, because here I am going to one of the most expensive universities in the world, taking a course that you could take, you know, on a, on a, you know, whatever, a, a, a mail order course that doesn't really matter. But it was one of the most impactful things I did because I can now read an entire book in you know, five or 10 minutes. Now, I don't read every single word and it teaches you how to glean the core messages from anything that's in front of you to essentially create meaningful cliffs notes from anything, a summary. And it was an amazing, amazing course. I use that all the time. On the, the time management side, you know, if it's okay, I'll go into my day today, maybe. For sure, example. sure. Yeah, yeah. So like for me today, the way I'm spending my time, I'm, I've got this podcast, which, you know, helps my business and, and, and is an opportunity to kind of, you know, again, shake people and make them aware of Deep Sentinel. So I'm shaking you, all listeners out there, pay attention to Deep Sentinel. I have a board meeting, so I'm meeting with my, my board members. Uh, and that's going to be about an hour and I'm going to spend half an hour preparing for my board meeting. I have an hour for this podcast. I have three hours that I spent with my management team, specifically my, my senior leadership team, and then my entire department heads meeting, which is all the managers and directors and above. And we go through all of our KPIs and we do that in a way that, again, manages time. We cover the entire most important topics in that meeting in the first five minutes. If you have to leave, if you attend the first five minutes, you can leave after the first five minutes. And that's what I call TLDR, too long, didn't read. So... If you have a major issue and you need to bring it up in that first five minutes, if you don't bring it up in those first five minutes, that's your fault if someone else doesn't know it because they may have left. And then we go through each department and we go into depth in each department after that. Then I meet with my, my senior customer care team going over all of our customer facing issues because the most important thing in our business is our customers. And so I'm heading up the voice of the customer so that I have my finger on the pulse of everything facing our customers how we're fixing it. And these are our key customers really that we're focusing on to make sure that we're not taking off the, the big ones. Then uh, later this afternoon, I also am meeting with a couple of investors and then I'm meeting with two friends. And this morning before work, I went out to my garden with my wife for an hour and we talked about what we're going to be doing this day, taking our, our kids on a trip for the RV and how we're going to get ready for that. And that, the reason I shared all those details is that's exactly how I wanted to spend today. I have about 80% of my day during the, during the workday with work focused on the things that matter, touching my customers, touching my leadership team, and all data focused. I then have the, the part of my life that, that's my personal side is critically important. And I'm not abandoning it, but I also don't let it interrupt my day unnecessarily. So my wife and I come up with a plan. She's working on that. We know that we're going to touch base at the end of the day. And if she needs to, she can contact me anytime in the middle. And so for me, as I think about the way that you spend your time, it, it, it's whether it's on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or a monthly basis, it's a huge practice for me to reconcile that against what didn't I accomplish? What do I wish I would have allocated my time towards? And then to modify that immediately and not just kind of stick with my guns. Okay, this is our weekly meetings. If your weekly meetings aren't getting done what you need to get done, change them, get rid of them. Stop, 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 stop. Your time should always reflect your priorities. Good stuff. This is great. I wish I wish we had I wish I had more of your schedule right now to be able to ask more, more <laughs> questions from you. This has been fantastic. So how do you measure? So 
we can go back to your business briefly. Maybe we'll just ask it quickly. Maybe just the, you have a ton of KPIs, but what's the most important measure of success for Deep Sentinel? So it's crimes that we stop. And that's, that's really easy for us because that drives sales. It drives customer attention. It drives customer satisfaction. It drives employee retention. We, we have employees that when they leave, you know, they get offered a huge you know, opportunity to kind of go and grow their career. And they send me an apology letter as they're leaving, right? Like the people that work here love what we do. And so, so it is clear to me from all different directions, the crimes that we stop are the single most thing, important thing that we deliver. Love that. So I love that simplicity too, and, and how that's a driving force in the organization. So now let's go to the personal side. And we, once again, pre-conversation, we had quite a bit of conversation about that. I think your schedule kind of alludes to perhaps a little bit what you were discussing, but how are you measuring success in your personal life? As, as I told you before, pretty poorly. I'm trying to do my best. It's hard. I mean, this is that's a journey. I feel like with business, the, the great thing about business is that it's driven in a capitalist framework, which means like, there's, yes, I talk about crimes, but crimes are directly tied to dollars. And I know that, right? But I can't manage dollars if I don't manage, manage crime. In their personal life, there's not that like single driver of the business that, that means you're being successful. Is that a happy marriage? Is that successful kids? Does that mean they have a job? Does that mean they're healthy? Like it's, it's hard. There are, there are probably two or three things that I, I look at Number one is the health of our marriage. Like, are we spending time together? Do we, there's a great book called the seven habits of successful marriages. And it's one of the, you know, you have good to great behind you, by the way, which is one of the only business books that was written in that data framework, data, hypothesis, test, and then create theories. That's why I love Jim Collins. Good to great in the marriage world. That's what the seven habits of successful marriages is. It was this guy who who's up in Seattle and he spent, I think it's like 20 years. It's a longitudinal study of uh, marriages. And he said, I'm going to observe married couples for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm going to code all my observations. Boom, boom, boom. Then I'm going to come back seven years later and then 13 years later and 20 years later and see what are the variables that predict if people are still married. You know what the number one variable is? No. Does... So does each of the members of the couple turn and look their spouse in the eye when they come into the room? Wow. Right. Wow. Wow. That's a great leading indicator. I've never heard that before, but that is fantastic. I love that book for that reason, right? Like, and maybe, you know, maybe that's like a little bit of marketing around their, their, their codes and their data, but it, but they've followed it through. They have the data to support it. And it's, when you think about it, it's not, do I say I love you? I can fake that, right? It's, do I actually care when you enter the room and I'm willing to engage you and you engage me at this deep, innate, intimate, trust-reflecting level? Do you look at your spouse and engage them with your eyes when they come in the room? Man, oh man. So, you know, my wife and I, we, like every couple do holy smokes right like the last couple of years especially up and down and up and down but but we have a couple of really key rules that our marriage needs to be healthy and if it's unhealthy that we both agree that okay our older daughter's failing in this class that's secondary to this because 
her success in that class, her success in her class and her after school activities are all built on the foundation of our marriage. The second thing that we both have had to kind of adjust to is that our kids are not going to be reflections of us at all, period. And that one's been tough. My wife really, you know, she was a professional ballroom dancer. And so she got our kids into dance early. Of our two kids, I bet you can't guess how many of our kids still dance. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's the big round number. <laughs> and, you know, so she, that was really hard for her. She had to let go of that. But they're just not reflections of us. They're just their own little beings out there in the universe being weird in their own ways. And so our older daughter's a drama kid and she's hyper dramatic and weird and, and awesome. And, and, you know, everybody that she interacts with remembers her because she is out there and I love it. She, she brought her sword with her to one of our dinner parties. She has this like drama sword and it's a you know, 15 pound made out of steel. Like, well, look at my sword. And we're like, oh, look out. That's her. My younger daughter, we're, the reason we're packing up the RV right now is she's going to an equestrian event. She rides English horses. And certainly I interacted with horses a lot growing up in Oregon and I love horses, but I was never that kid. And my wife is not that kid. And she, holy smokes, during the pandemic, we were looking for new activities for them. And she started riding. And for us, the, probably one of the most proud moments we have of her is her last coach fired us because she said that Cecilia, my younger daughter, could never compete and, and be effective at horse riding. And it crushed her. And she was just wow. terrible and terrified. And so we found her a new coach. Cecilia has been to four competitions in the last two months. And she got that new coach about six months ago. She got first place overall at the first competition. She got first place in, in two of her events and second place in one of the events. As a small one, little competition, lowest division, but you know, like built it up. Like she can, she can compete. She then moved up divisions and she also got first place overall against yes. 30 kids in the state of California, one of the most competitive states in the, in the union. Yeah. And she got second place at her last competition and third place at the, the one before that. That's awesome. You smoked it. You know, I can't, I care less about first, second or third and more than like, that kid showed up. She showed grit and she loves it. She practices. She's on time. She tells us when she know, needs to go to her lessons. She is researching it on the internet, how to get better. And again, and my older daughter is the same way. She's watching, you know, these drama classes. She's studying makeup. She can make a gaping head wound look real on any human being in like two hours. It's amazing. Like she is one of the best makeup artists in the world already at the age of 13. Wow. And, and I love that, like, whatever that is that you're going to do, just, just be excellent. And I want to be there for you. We are trying to find, how do we find the balance with academics? I mean, obviously I grew up as an all academics all the time, half Chinese, half Austrian Jew fa immigrant family. And so I'm having to meter myself a little bit, but you know, finding that balance. And, and I guess with the kids, it's just finding whatever that it is that drives them and then being the best support mechanisms that we can for them ensuring that they become whole human beings on the backside of that. I love the story of your daughter who crushed her in writing. And there's something powerful when you're told no. Yeah. And, and when, when it puts that chip in your shoulder and it's so humiliating and so devastating when you're told no. Oh my God. I, I right? swear. So I'm not a gun owner right now, <laughs> but boy, am I glad I'm not at that particular moment. I was pissed. 
That was intense. And the fact that she did it the way, like, you can just say, like, this isn't working out. Let's transition you out over the next. She's just like, bam, you're gone. You suck. Wow. Wow. But but once again, the response though, the response, which was see that that in life we're gonna have our critic as they say, get back up on the saddle. That's right. Literally. Literally. There you go. And so I anyways, I just love that story. And and I mean, of all those stories we told today, that's probably one of the more ones I hope the audience is listening to and remembering is like, you know, when you get told you can't. My my daughter is in a college recruiting situation, has had some some really wonderful colleges reach out to her, but a couple haven't. And she has this national tournament coming up and she is just got this chip on her shoulder. And, and I love that. I love it. Right. When, when people get fired up, they're like, you mean, you didn't want me. I'll show you. (laughs) You I mean, there's, you know, the, 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 I can tell you the two most impactful failures in my life. One was when I didn't get accepted to MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I applied for them early admission, meaning I committed to them. If they would have accepted me early, I would have gone and they, they, you know, it's like, will you marry me? And, uh, you know, and they'll back in the mail comes six months later, a little letter just says no. And then the second one actually happened a little bit before that was I, I was involved in a, in an academic competition for math, right? That was a math geek. And I was the youngest competitor in this program ever in its history. I, I was a freshman and it was a high school program and, and it was only juniors and seniors. I was the only freshman who had ever qualified. And so, you know, like, here I am, I'm, I'm the cool kid. I was a little bit nervous, but I, I was pretty egotistical. And, uh, and so I go to the final competition, which is a live presentation and they give you a math problem and you have to answer it. And I got, I would say like 80% of the way done. In fact, like 95% of the way done. And I couldn't get the last step. And so I, I called the proctor and I said, look, I can't go out there and present. And so I bailed, I I resigned. So I went out to the audience and I watched everyone else do their presentations. No one got even close to where I got to. No one even got five steps in. Had I just gone out and presented my 90% solution, not only would I have been the youngest competitor, but would have been the winner and the youngest winner ever in history. And I love that because I didn't win. <laughs> and so instead of remembering that I won, I have this lesson that, you know, to, to really believe in myself, listen to myself. And I can even tell you today what the answer was, right? So I got, there's this math problem that regressed down to a statement that said X squared equals 20. And now as an adult, like, you know, what is that? 25 years later, I could tell you, you know, you just square root both sides. You get X equals the square root of 20. There you go. You're done. End of, end of story. I won. And I literally just, I just had never learned that you could apply square root to both sides of an equation. I was a freshman. Like you're not even supposed to know any of that stuff. And literally no one else even got to that point. But the fact that I can remember exactly the math of that to me is one of those great lessons. You know, again, I, I don't know what I can attribute to my parents, but my parents let me do these things, stretch myself, try even if it meant fail, and in that case, fail spectacularly in front of everyone, that it's it's better to try and fail than it is to, to give up. Mm. Great lesson. Okay, what's the book you recommend for our audience? Easy peasy. So my book is The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. I've mentioned a couple of other books, but the reason I mentioned Stephen Covey's The Speed of Trust is because it's not well known. Very few people w- would ever recommend it. And it's 
it's one of those books that I can apply in every single situation, every conversation, every single meeting I have, whether it's for work or personal. And, and so, and, and by the way, I recommend it in the sense that if you want to read the summary of it, the summary works just perfectly too, but take the conclusions from the speed of trust to heart. I don't know. Do you allow people to tell people what kind of the, the, the gist is, or do you want people? To oh, no. Off? Yeah. I mean, it's, you could give the one where we're, just get the one minute, but I mean, I agree with you just by the way, the, 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 the book conclusion itself is brilliant, which is when people don't trust each other, things everything don't happen. Falls apart. Yep. Everything falls apart. And, and the, 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 the kind of mechanical conclusion that I find really insightful here is that we typically use trust to mean you are a trustworthy person, meaning to evaluate the morality of someone. What we don't realize is that Trust actually has two independent facets to it. The first one is the morality. Are you going to do the right thing given the opportunity to? The second side of it is the execution side. If I ask you to go mail this letter, do you do it? And if you don't, what, what our brain does is it brings those two independent facets together and projects them against each other. Meaning that if you enough times I ask you, go mail this letter and you say, yes, and you don't do it. I actually, in my brain, confuse those two things together. And I believe that you're an immoral person. And so what it does is in, in, in a, the construct of your mind to remember that there are two fully independent parts of trust and you've got to manage both of them. And in order to be a trustworthy person and build a trustworthy organization, build a trustworthy culture, you have to manage both of those aspects, not just the morality side. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent, excellent. Dave, this has been an honor to have you on. I love your insights and uh, both on the business and the personal side. I just want to thank you so much for being a part of the Measure Success podcast. Well, it's been an honor. I hope people get just the, the tiniest little bit. If they, if they want to learn a little bit more about me, if I can just make a, a final shtick about me please and do. my business. Please do. Yes, thank you. To learn about Deep Sentinel, my, my best recommendation is go to our website, deepsentinel.com or just go to YouTube and search for the Deep Sentinel channel. It, we show all of our best crime stops. We, we produce a video almost every single week of the, the highlights. So to learn more about me, you can go to my LinkedIn. I just search for David Selinger. I post things about life. I post something about safety and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm going to post something next week about school safety. And, uh, and sometimes I post little business tips as well. So LinkedIn.com and go to Dave Selinger. Thank you so much for adding that in for sure. And so to thank you, Dave. And to our audience, thank you for listening and wishing you the very best at measuring success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.